Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. Today's episode, we're going to explore the topic of shame. It wasn't until recently that I really began to explore the role of shame in my life. For a very long time, I never really resonated with having those embarrassing moments, as I think a lot of us associate with feeling shameful, those moments of humiliation or where we just don't feel good about ourselves. I've come to realize more recently how, for some of us, myself included, shame is so baked into who we are that it is such an unconscious process that we actually live with daily. So what better time than to dive deeper into the topic of shame? Shame naturally lends itself coming from our past episodes, uh, the most recent one being about being misunderstood. And what comes with being misunderstood is usually an innate shame for the person or the experience of yourself that you feel others aren't understanding. If you are in a society of people who don't get you, it's a very natural human response to then be shameful, to be embarrassed of that self. So what actually is shame? Shame to me is critical self-talk. It's a self-judgment. It is our own voice in our minds that is shaming us, that we aren't good enough, that it should be different. We should be able to do better. I think to speak to your point, Jenna, because very traditionally that's how shame presents itself. It's that inner critical voice where so many of us are tearing ourselves down day in and day out. And when I didn't you know, observe that critical voice in myself in many moments, of course, I was then led to believe that, well, I must not be shameful. I must be very connected and secure in who I am. And it wasn't until more recently that I began to realize that for me, you know, shame really evidenced itself in the distance that I continue to keep from people, not really sharing my authentic self, my thoughts, my emotions. Why not? Because again, there was a deep belief that they were shameful that I shouldn't share those things with other people. Um, shame for me, you know, also evidence itself in the way I choose to show up, you know, very strategically, unconsciously putting myself in situations where I don't have to feel shameful because the part that I am showing myself to other people is the part that I'm actually confident or secure in. And I'm leaving out the rest of it. I've also come to realize that for me, Shame comes out in those moments of defensiveness where I have very well-meaning loved ones like yourself, of course, who are sharing, you know, loving alternate perspectives of me. Um, and I just simply refuse to hear them, um, thinking again that I am so confident and I'm so knowing of who I am. And all of that, as far as I'm concerned at this point, is a function of shame. And when we don't feel confident in showing our full self, some of us, and again, all of this for me was so unconscious, so under the surface that it just became part of who I am. I was curating, in a sense, my life, my existence and my relationships so that I never really had to feel shame. And when faced with those moments where someone could put that reflection or that mirror up to me, I just adamantly would deny it. I was That was something I wasn't willing to look at. And again, because for me, that touched the depth of shame that began in, in my childhood. It's triggering. Shame feels triggering. And in everything that you're sharing, to me, as I'm hearing you, can be boiled down to shame is a rejection of your truth, of speaking your truth, which 
just a few episodes back, we did an episode on speaking your truth, on living and being and embodying your truth. And if your truth is something that makes you vulnerable, there is a rejection of it, a and a lack of confidence of who you are. And yes, that that would come from childhood where you weren't safe or I wasn't safe to express myself, my true nature. I didn't have my needs met. And I think of shame most relevantly with my brother Jacob, who, as many of you know, I've spoken of quite often over the last, well, really the last year, but especially the last six months uh, since he passed away in November. And Shame is such a powerful and teachable moment for me in this experience with him because it was six or seven years of recovery and advocacy work of him breaking open and really, you know, finding and creating this awareness and this mindfulness that was the bulk of the last chunk of his life. And it was what allowed me to reconnect to him. And through those years of recovery and advocacy at the end of it, right before he died, when he started to slip and to struggle again, he did so because there was so much shame, so much shame to reach back out for support to the very people that he used to help, that he used to guide through recovery and guide through advocacy work. And I've only come to learn recently in the last few weeks, actually, there's a recovery center in upstate New York called Healing Springs Recovery, and they just celebrated their five-year anniversary. And someone tagged me on social media and sent me a message that someone did a beautiful tribute to my brother Jacob and another person, both who have recently died um, from addiction. And both of these two people, my brother being one of them, were the foundational voices that created something called Raise Our Voice. It was uh, Recovery Advocacy in Saratoga. That was R-A-I-S, all capitals, Raise Our Voice. And that group, you know, seven years ago is the core group of what then turned into Healing Springs Recovery Center, an actual brick and mortar recovery center that offers holistic healing and recovery and counseling and coaching to people. And it was that very center that Jake needed in his last few months when he began slipping. He was unable to cope with what he was dealing with, and he turned back to those same destructive patterns because he was so shameful. He rejected so deeply his authentic truth, which was that he needed community. He needed the very thing that he gifted others to help them survive, to help them recover and sustain their lives. And it was shame. And that degrading self-talk, that criticism, that beating up, and I can hear it so clearly in his mind, ripping himself apart, shaming him for not being a role model to his, you know, twin siblings, shaming him for not being the man he was supposed to be, shaming himself for needing the support that he actually created and gifted others. And I'm hearing about, about Jacob and, you know, two episodes ago, we're talking about speaking our truth. Um, kind of want to pull back the layers and acknowledge truth as truth in our being. And, and what I mean when I say that and, you know, where shame often comes from, again, back in childhood, where we didn't have that safe space to self-express. So before we're even, you know, verbal and, and having words and ideas, 
to share with the world. And again, when we explored the, the episode around truth, we really unpacked what that means. And for some of us, there's a truth in our way of being that when we don't feel safe in childhood. So for me, not having emotionally attuned parents, um, always having, you know, a stress or a health crisis, you know, at the ready, it didn't really feel safe to be who I was. So at my core, there was this idea, and this is where shame comes from, that we're not worthy. We're not good enough. And for me, the belief was that I'm not worthy of that connection from my mom, from my dad, from my family, because there is something inherently wrong with me. So before words even for me came into play, there was this suppression of who I was. And again, a channeling of who I was into the areas where I was rewarded or where I did get that little attention that was available. And for me, that was through performing, through actioning. So in that way, I began, as we were all very adaptive creatures, to be really selective in who or what I was being in the world. And that's what I'm coming to realize. And one of the reasons why I didn't realize I was so shameful, it just became who I was, this act of suppression, where at my core, I don't feel good enough. I don't feel worthy to just be who I am. And that is a very difficult scenario. So from that pain, I just I squashed it. And I assumed that the person I was being in the world was the entirety of who I was. So of course, I was dumbfounded when people like yourself and I would be getting these, these reports of, of a different experience of me or, or a distance in me. And all of this, again, was so outside of my awareness that I would defend. I would, again, think I was right. And you don't know who what you're talking about. And because all of this was such an unconscious process because of that deep-rooted pain, when we don't feel good enough, we will do whatever we have to do to never feel that rejection or that abandonment again. There's something that stuck out about what you just said about not feeling good enough. And when I reflect back on my childhood and I reflect back on Jacob's and Josh's, both of my brothers, I you know, there's similarities. I see the similarities. And I also see the result in different ways where Jake carried a lot of that shame because of his addiction, because of the choices he made, because of his actions. He never felt good enough. And for me, there was a difference in that shame. It more so showed up as humiliation. And while those sound and can be in many ways kind of one in the same, I want to just make them very distinct where Shame is a, a degrading of yourself, a ridicule of yourself. It is self-talk. Shame can't exist unless you are being shameful, speaking shamefully to yourself. It is that inner critical voice. Humiliation is shame in a sense that there's a knowing or a belief or a feeling that you also don't deserve that. You weren't responsible for the thing that is humiliating you. So for example, Jake and his addiction and ultimately his death, I know is very shameful to him. I've read a lot of his writings and even in his notepad or things he journaled and wrote to himself leading up to his death. And there was utter shame of who he was being and the choices he was making. That to me was concrete shame. I think of humiliation and I reflect back on our childhood and you know, being on food stamps, having clothes that had holes in them or never matched, having socks that I had to roll down all the way to my ankles five times because they were, you know, adult dirty white socks on a kindergartner. And 
things like that to me were really embarrassing. They were extremely humiliating. So for me, as I continued to grow, I can see where that humiliation surfaces, where as a child, there is a reality of, you know, I am ashamed. I am really embarrassed, but it also wasn't my responsibility. And then we grow into adulthood where shame, you can realize, is an action that you take upon yourself. It's a way that you embody and speak and treat yourself. Whereas humiliation is that same physiological sensation as shame, though it is something external or outside of you that isn't how you're viewing or speaking to yourself. It's instead experiential or situational. So, you know, even hearing you speak of that, Jenna, not having those moments to to recollect or to remember, again, led me to believe that, you know, shame wasn't an issue for me. And because I didn't realize, and, and I, I think a lot of my past has been really confusing and why I speak to it so readily now is because I think a lot of you listening, you know, when we don't have moments like you're describing or, you know, when we weren't victim of, of active abuse or or active neglect, um, we we think again that that those things aren't the case for us. And for me, I've come to realize how there's a, a hidden right shaming that happens when we don't feel or when we don't have an emotionally attuned parent, because the message continues to be we're not good enough. Right? There is something inherent in us that is causing this parent to look away or to be unavailable and not having for me the developmental maturity to understand that my parents were in fight or flight. And what that meant for them was their priority was survival, was keeping our family in existence and to survive another day amidst health crisis after health crisis. So emotions, in addition to, you know, generationally speaking, a lot of us have come from parents who were actively taught that emotions aren't a big deal in children. So there is a lot of neglect that happens when we don't have an emotionally attuned parent, neglectful behaviors, when we don't have that attention, when we're being who we are, or we don't have that point of secure connection. And in our childlike minds, the only way we can make sense of it is because, well, there's something inherently wrong with me. So what that means is I'm going to stop showing all of these parts of me that aren't acceptable, that cause mom or dad or whomever to look away or to turn their attention away or even to overreact, um, I'm going to stop, I'm going to suppress those parts. And then again, I'm going to find the areas where I can find that connection, where I can feel good enough. And that for me was where this curated existence began where through performing, through achieving, through doing, I was able to maintain that connection. And it was very confusing because in those moments where I was performing, I did have attention. I was even getting active validation. Nicole, you're so good. You're so smart. You're so good at softball. And again, it was landing in a very empty way because I was showing part of myself, but under underneath it all, I was actively, as I continue even to do today, suppressing the whole of me. So that leads to really empty validation where we continue then into adulthood, at least I do, to seek it from the world. And when the world doesn't show up to reflect back the image that I think I'm presenting it, 
um, I get angry. I get reactive and I, I don't assume that I'm the issue. I assume that clearly the world around me is the problem and you're just not seeing me clearly. And again, for me, all of this has been so unconscious, so curated um, that I wasn't even aware at the active suppression that was happening. So as we're talking about being aware of that shame or of that active suppression happening for everyone listening and watching right now, take a moment right now to pause and feel what's been coming up for you as you're listening to Nicole speak, as you're listening to me speak, just as we're 15 minutes, I don't know, however long into this episode, what have you felt rise up in your body? What thoughts have risen up in you? I would imagine that some of you, I know a lot of parents out there likely have gone into an autopilot of either their own defensiveness and or their own shame, their own critical voice of exactly what we're speaking of. So for all of the parents and caregivers, parent figures listening right now as well, think of yourself first as the child. Don't think of your role as the parent of the child and, oh my gosh, I do this. I was neglectful. I didn't do X, Y, and Z. My child is suffering. You first are also the child. You repeated exactly what you knew until you knew better, which is why you're here listening now in the first place. So take a moment now and acknowledge the inner child within you, the little you that's within you, and start to peel back in this moment. Use this as an opportunity to see those thoughts come in, to see that judgment come in, to see maybe that defensiveness or even that denial. And instead of making it wrong, instead of having any opinion or attachment about it, just set it to the side. Acknowledge that it's there. Take it out of the driver's seat. Put it next to you in the passenger seat or toss it in the back. It's there and it's with you and it's there to teach you. And it's that critical voice that is actually going to be your greatest guidance because without the awareness of it even being there, you have no way to put one foot in front of the other. You'll just go around in a continuous circle. When you become aware of it, you can then switch. You can choose a new thought. And you, even now, if you are the parent now listening, you can see yourself as that younger child. And before you go to give that love to your own child, the first child you need to give it to is you. So allow the criticism or the shame or self-talk, whatever comes up, to be there and begin to reframe and embody what it would be to be that wise inner parent, to be that loving parent, but first to yourself. I want to, I'll answer your question um, as you pose to all the listeners out there, you know, what are you feeling? And I'll share what I'm feeling right now. And my heart rate is elevated. My palms are sweaty. I'm feeling really nervous. I'm feeling really scared. Um, speaking even really honestly, you know, about my own relationship with shame is very in this moment activating for me. It's bringing up that fear, this idea of, oh gosh, you know, if people begin to hear, what will they think? Um, and the reality of it is, and, you know, a constant theme we continue to revisit on this podcast here is authenticity, right? How do we have authentic, safe connections with another human? And the first step is by being authentically who we are. And it wasn't until really recently that, again, I'm faced with, you know, the smack in the face um, awareness that I definitely want to fought when it was first brought to my attention that, 
if I'm not feeling connected in my relationships, that's actually my, my issue. You know, if I don't feel known by the people around me, then I have to look at the ways that I'm not allowing myself to be known. And even here feeling my, my activation right now is evidence to me of one of the main reasons that prevents me from feeling truly known to other people, this nervousness, this fear, this, what if, what will happen? What will they think if I share these authentic truths or if I'm just myself in this moment? Um, and for me, that fear was so great. Um, the fear being, of course, that I won't be loved, that I'll be abandoned, that the same thing will happen that happened with my mom. She'll turn her attention away. So while I'm holding everyone hostage, including you, um, yelling, screaming, why don't you love me? Why don't you see me? Why can't we be emotionally connected? You know, I'm really faced with, and I want to thank you for the gift of putting that mirror back and the reflection being the reason why Nicole is because you're still really scared to share even with someone. And for those of you who are obviously aware that you know, Jenna and I have been in a relationship now for over a year, and even still, there are a lot of honest truths that are really scary for me to even show here with her in our personal relationship, let alone right blasting it to the world, which also brings up another irony for me. Um, because I do know and I am aware and I have seen, you know, commentary that when people think of, you know, who Dr. Nicole is and this kind of presentation to the world. And I know there is a lot of belief that I'm I'm healed and, you know, I don't have these moments of fear. And, and part of that is my responsibility to speak to them more, that that's very real for me. I, I do still struggle to be authentically who I am and the irony being that I do put a reflection out or the reflection that the belief co collectively that people have of me is that childhood belief that I'm perfect, that everything is going fine for me. And in a very interesting way, right, that affirms that very partial way of being because the reality of it is there are a lot of disconnections in my life still. There are many moments where I'm not authentically me. And instead of holding myself responsible, I'm, I deflect the responsibility. I argue it. Um, and in moments I can get downright mean because at my core, right, is this idea that I'm not lovable. And if I'm not lovable, right, that brings up the most deepest pain. And some of us, myself, right, is one of those people to deal with that pain. We just shut ourselves off. We become angry. Um, and that hurt then bleeds out and, and really washes over everyone around us. You can't be authentic with anyone or the world around you if you are not authentic with yourself. And, you know, as Nicole's sharing, and I really appreciate you sharing, Nicole, things have been a little turbulent over here for the last couple of weeks. And you have three grown women, you know, in the world of healing who also have our own really dynamic past and childhoods. And we are all merging and doing this work together. We also live, eat, sleep, and breathe together and work together and run a business together. So it's a lot of energy all of the time. And there's a lot of wounding that is really triggering for the other person. You know, when I need space for me or I need to honor me and not go and run and fix someone who's in the corner crying because I'm learning that for me, 
my whole life, I ran and did that to my parents. I still am my parents' parent to this day. And I'm really learning how to pause and take care of myself and not run to someone's side when they're weeping or when they're struggling. Because really that human is just as powerful and as empowered as I am. And they need to learn that ability for themselves. So that space for me is very triggering to Nicole's wounding. So then that wounding comes up and there's a need for deep connection. So what ends up happening? The need for deep connection and a deep belief that, you know, Nicole's unlovable creates daggers against us where there's a situation that I now, the only way to be close to Nicole is to betray myself in my own boundaries of how I'm treated, how I'm spoken to. I need to ditch and betray them and go run to her side to meet her need. And I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not doing that for Nicole. I'm not doing that for myself. I'm not doing that for Lolly. I'm just not doing that, period, because the number one person that I'm no longer betraying is little Jenna. And I think there's a a lot of empowerment in that and really a lot to honor in that situation. And as Nicole shared, you know, there's a, a fear that no one sees me. And a couple of days ago, actually in a discussion that was more like a, an argument or a screaming match, you know, Nicole kept saying, I just feel like you don't see me. And I looked at her and I said, you're right, Nicole, I don't see you because you're nowhere to be found. You don't see you. You don't see who you are. You're not connected to who you are. So there's this external need and drive to be obsessively connected to me in a way that is not authentic because we are connected. My heart is always connected to you. The thing and the person and the being that was creating that turbulence or the situation that was creating that turbulence was your lack of connection to your own self. So like you offered me a couple of days ago, I forget when it was now, um, that you don't see me because it's it's not me that I was being. I mean, there was so much truth in that, Jenna, because I wasn't being my authentic self. I was being this fear-based programming, which at its core outsourced, outsourced my needs, always was looking for someone else to show up and to rescue me. Um, even was able to very manipulatively and even sometimes passive aggressively paint myself into that victim corner, right? Where it, it didn't necessitate you to come fix me because you're the problem. Again, not really realizing all the, all along that that was my my habits, right? That was my patterns, and all of that was a protection. So you weren't wrong. I, in many moments, as of recent in particular, haven't been being me, um, and when I did begin to experience you shifting out of your lifelong of self-betrayal, it, it infuriated me. It not only brought me pissed. back <laughs> right to, to that early childhood, which felt like abandonment because that was the only language that my body knew, not understanding that that is an abandonment. Um, being close in proximity and having that really surfaced um, constant attentiveness of focus on problems that really was emblematic of what connection was in my family. I didn't know how to be separate together. I didn't know how to hold you in heart, knowing that even if you did take time for yourself, which I mean, I'll be the first person to shout from the rooftops. Like logically, yes, I want you always to care for you first, knowing that as we profess here, it's in doing for ourselves that we can be there for another person, authentically connected to another person. Yet in action, I went right back to that little child who felt abandoned, who felt not good enough, who saw the space that you were taking and was deeply 
infuriated that you were doing that for yourself when I was still unable to, to retain my power, to really carve out where my responsibility was, which is first and foremost with myself, with my own needs. I'm not looking for someone else to come and fix me um, because that continued to keep me again in that cycle of I need to be fixed. I'm not good enough as I am. Everything that you're seeing or hearing right now, whether you're watching or listening, is a reframing of shame. And I thank you, Nicole, and I'm really proud of you because, you know, I told Nicole, I need you to find an empowering way for yourself to be the same person on camera outwardly to the world that you're being behind closed doors to me in relationship with me, with Lolly, with our family, with everything that we are creating. And there just continued to be such a disconnect. And I could only see that disconnect because for me, whenever there's turbulence or anger or upset, there's something over here on my end that I know I'm causing. You know, I know I've been in a, a volcano erupting a lot of times over these last three years since our lives have all merged together because a lot of triggers and a lot of wounding have come up. There's a lot of new variables. And I will be the first person to go and acknowledge that because that's always been my life's work has literally just been a regurgitation of my actual life experience and what I'm actively learning from it in real time. So the same person that is behind the scenes over here is the same person that you guys hear and see outwardly in whatever we're creating or whatever we're producing. And I feel like sometimes I, you know, use the figure of speech, raking myself through the coals. Like I'll be the first to throw myself under the bus because it's not me. It's my habits and patterns and this habitual programming of me that is acting at those times in unfavorable ways. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not responsible for it. And it's like a get out of jail free card. Oh, it's just my past wounding coming up again. No, it's my responsibility, which is why everything that we're teaching or speaking on or sharing boils down to awareness, self-awareness, self-witnessing. When I can separate and embody and really understand that I am a self, that is having and going through these experiences, I can begin to also peel away that shame and that degrading of myself for doing it and open up compassion for myself and open up love for myself. It takes that moment of saying, you know, here's a lot of shame. You know, I'm not proud of treating my partners this way. I'm not proud of how I've been and had this negative self-talk. I've had this poor view about it. I've ridiculed myself. I've been critical about myself about it. So just let that be and then reframe it and have gratitude for the fact that you have awareness that you even had that shame. I think so much of Jake right now and Jake, I imagine you're here and I know that you can listen somehow, but I thank you so much for the shame that you even expressed in your writings of yourself, the reflection that you took on yourself, because I can also see how you so deeply knew and saw that while you were ripping yourself apart, it's because you knew the magnitude and the power and the beauty of the person that was and is your actual essence, your actual true self. And 
I am for sure certain that it is, you know, Jake with me now and channeling through me now that is even giving and speaking these words to you. You know, Jake's physical body died, but Jake didn't die. The vessel that he used to be here in physical existence is no longer here. The teaching didn't stop. The reflection and the wisdom didn't stop. It's in fact, you know, this very experience of realizing how shameful Jake was to reach back out to the very center that he created. And when I learned that he was the foundational group that created this actual recovery center now, I understood so profoundly why he didn't go back there because he was so upset with himself. And that in itself, his physical absence now and his death, is all here for that very teaching, for you to understand that story and to see to see the choice and the option in removing that shame and having love for the fact of why it's there in the first place. Because there was a fear as a child. There was a, a lack of consideration or a lack of needs met, a lack of safety for you to actually express your true authentic self. And at the end of Jake's life, his true authentic self needed help. It needed community. It needed love. It needed to be seen more than it ever had before, though he was still the same little Jacob inside who never gave that sight to himself. He never gave that connection to himself that Nicole is just speaking here. You know, when I told Nicole, I don't see you because you don't see you. I can't find you. Jake couldn't see himself. He couldn't find himself. He wasn't connected to himself because he was so ashamed, still living in this body of little Jacob that was rejected, that was ridiculed by his parents, that was neglected, that that was abused. I want to thank Jacob myself as well. And what was that quote that, that you have on that? I think it's our value is determined by who we are. The worth of our lives comes not by what we did or who we were, but by who we are. Yes. So thank you. Um, and to speak to that point, you know, who we are isn't the role we play, isn't the function that we serve. Um, and for me, that 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 is easy. I can shift very easily into teacher mode, into, you know, academic mode. I even a recent comment, you know, is proclaiming a desire for me to be more clinical. Right. That's so <laughs> for Jenna to talk less, which is we do appreciate the feedback. For me to talk less because it sounded like I was in a therapy session and for you to be more clinical. To be more clinical. And when, when I read that, you know, I'm really coming to the awareness now that being clinical, being a teacher, you know, presenting myself is still a function, a role, um, a distance from who I am. So to speak to Jacob's very beautiful quote, um, that awareness is key. You know, beginning to see those moments where we're shifting into our function or we're outsourcing our needs and then maybe getting irate and reactive like I know I do um, when we're not allowing ourselves to be who we are. So when we're exploring or as all of you listening, you know, begin to explore your own shame or, or what might be, you know, your own shame, I think that awareness is a, a really great place to start when are those moments where you don't let yourself just be who you are, where you don't let yourself express a need? Where are those moments where you do hear that inner critical voice that is demanding that you shouldn't do that 
to the extent that you end up not doing that until we have that awareness. And for me, going back to full circle to this beginning of the episode, it was so baked in. It was so easy for me to teach, um, to be clinical, to be distance. And that for me is still my safe zone, which is why you often hear me talking in that very distanced way. And so really pulling that back and understanding that in those moments, I have another choice. I could actually not go down that route and I could be more personal. I could talk, you know, based on who I am and what is happening for me in that moment. There will, of course, be fear, fear of what will people think? How will they react? How is it even for me? Like I was sharing earlier, I was even feeling the activation in my body without even feedback. I mean, this isn't going to be out for two weeks. I have no idea what you're going to think. Um, even in this moment, just speaking it into, into the ethers, into the world is scary though, knowing that you have the choice. And for me, that choice begins when I see myself shifting into those old modes, when I see myself holding people responsible for my needs being met, when I'm not standing in my own responsible power, those are the moments where I could make another choice, where I can be authentically me, which also means authentically honoring my own needs and not holding the world hostage and then abusing the world when I don't get my needs met. So how can I learn how to stand in who I am? For me, that journey begins in seeing all of the moments and catching myself in all of those automatic choice points where I go that other route. And then over time, of course, expanding and practicing walking through that fear. And instead of giving you the clinical teaching, giving you the honest truth in that moment. The rawness, the authenticity, the realness, that is what I've been sharing with Nicole the last couple of days where I kind of want to shake her and be like, they just want you to be raw. They they just, they resonate, they as in you guys, everyone listening and myself included, your partner resonates with relatability, with just that truth unfolding, kind of bleeding out in front of all of you and being like, well, it's okay with me if it is my truth, because it's not a disservice to me ever if I am sharing and expressing or even openly exploring what is my truth. If I'm doing that in real time and to me, it really is a matter of life and death. While Jake's, you know, experience or the situation with Jake, Jake's death really may seem extreme. It's also not as uncommon as we'd like to, to think that it is. Many of us, you know, while not all of us are going to end up physically dead like Jake now is as a result of that shame that then led to, you know, the lack of coping, which led to addiction, which led to the choice of whatever substance that was used that ultimately ended his life. That all came from an originating place of deep shame, of deep trauma, of deep wounding. So I also would just, you know, offer to anyone listening now to really Look at how you deserve to give that to yourself. You deserve to give that awareness to yourself, that love to yourself, and the ability to make a new choice because it is life or death. And while not everyone will end up, you know, dead at 36 like Jacob is, many of us have been living and will live lives where we are now physically alive and spiritually dead. We are nowhere to be found. Like I said to Nicole recently, we're nowhere to be seen because we're not here. The vessel and the autopilot with this beating heart is here walking the earth. But where are we? 
we are not that physical body. When Jake died and I, you know, stood next to him in his coffin and held his hand, there was a, you know, like a tragic ache about it. And there was a deep solace and just a knowing looking at him being like, wow, how trippy is this? You're not here. Like, here's your body. You're not there. You're not in it, though. You're very much still here. And we, you know, very easily and normally in this society start to view ourselves as the body. And when someone dies, it's like, oh, well, that person's gone. And if we really believe that, then that's to say that we've only ever viewed the people around us as a body, which I think most of us would immediately be up in arms saying, well, that's not true. No, I don't. Though if we view it that way, when someone passes that they're gone, then we are saying they're just a body. So the same goes for ourselves. You are a body. Yes, you you have a body, I should say. And you are the being and the essence that is what's transmuted through that body. And that essence, that, that you deserves your love. It deserves to be awakened and broken open during this lifetime so that while you're physically living, your being is actually also here living. Your spirit, your source, your center is alive. That is the core essence that then fuels our beating heart. And I think to go back a couple episodes when we explore the topic of um, Dark Night of the Soul, you know, for me, however long ago that now was, that was the beginning of really realizing and living into that disconnect that you're talking about. I was living in a body and around this body, I, I had checked all my boxes of achievement. Yet at my core, there was just such a, an emptiness and absence, a lack of, again, connection and fulfillment. So that disconnect from that spiritual self that felt so deeply alone, again, originating from childhood, wasn't matching up with the physical body that was going through the world with a partner next to her and, you know, and a plaque on her office that said Dr. Nicola Perra and, you know, with a family that I, that I felt like I was connected to. And that was the beginning of it. And to speak to a topic you revisit often, you know, a lot of times we think once you've explored that and and found some grounding that we're over it. And yet here comes another wave um, of healing, another wave of, again, the peeling back of the layers of the onion to see all of the ways I continue to exist in that very habited way where I'm not allowing that deeper spiritual being, the meanness to just be, whether it's in my relationship, whether it's in my professional life, in my business, wherever it is, even with myself, you know, individually in my aloneness, allowing myself how to just be um, is the next wave of as the journey continues. And to speak to that point, um, as we continue our weekly conversation with all of you out there, um, this, you know, will continue to be a place for me to continue to explore, you know, being more fully me, resisting that urge to shift into the teacher, into the, you know, the vision that I imagine many of you hold of me and to begin to be in the rawness, to just share what it is and to allow myself those moments of just pure essence of just pure being, um, obviously here in conversation with you all. Thank you all for tuning in for another week's discussion. Uh, reminder, we do this intentionally ad-free for you guys. So it does 
help us so much if you hit the like button, if you leave us a review or drop us a comment. It helps circulate this out to to others. And of course, a huge thank you to those who share this with friends and family who share this on social media and tag us. Um, We're on Instagram at selfhealers.soundboard. And of course, if you're watching this on our YouTube channel, we are the Self Healers Soundboard YouTube channel, which we are going to continue to build up with not only this, but other videos and teachings that we are working on to really just create an interactive community space and discussion about what it means to be human, what this existence of humanity is here on earth and how we are really all just navigating our own journeys and all walking each other home. So thank you for your interactions, your likes, reviews, everything. We love you and we will look forward to being with you again next week.